Good morning. Thank you for being here this morning. Before we do anything, we need to ask God's help. Would you pray with me? Almighty Father in heaven, we're thankful for this beautiful day you've granted us. We're thankful, Father, for all those here. We're thankful, Father, for your Son, whom you sent to die for us. And we pray, Father, as we study your word, that your, the truth and beauty of your word would come through. We ask, Father, for your guidance. We ask for your blessing. We claim the wisdom that you've promised us, Father. So be with us this morning, Father, and bless us, for we pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Today is a day of victory. Victory that all of us who call ourselves Christians and obey the teachings of Christ share in. And in fact, every day is a day of victory, and sometimes we lose sight of that. Victory that I think can be summed up in just 10 words. And I'd like to talk about those 10 words this morning. And by the way, I, I hope everyone appreciates the fact that 10 is a pretty convenient number. In that as we go through this this morning, I don't believe anyone here will have to rely on their toes to keep track. Luke 24, chapter, verse 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. And then they remembered his words. I believe the three most important words that have ever been spoken since the beginning of time, or ever will be spoken until the end of time, are he is risen. He is risen. Whatever our troubles, whatever our tribulations, whatever our sorrows, whatever our fears, whatever our doubts, whatever our sins, as Christians, those three words anchor our lives in truth so profound, so significant, so wonderful, that everything in this world and everything in the worlds to come pale in comparison. I want to especially focus on those three words this morning and what they mean to us. But before we get there, we need to rewind the clock three days and look at three additional words that are also of tremendous import. Jesus is on the cross. And in John chapter 19, verses 28 and following, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished to fulfill the scripture, said, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine upon a branch of hyssop and brought it up to his mouth. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. From the beginning of time, God the Father had laid out a plan for us, for our salvation, that we might be rescued from sin and reunited with him 
as his children. We get just a hint of that plan in Genesis chapter 3 when God curses Satan. Noah, Moses, Abraham all play a role in laying the groundwork for God's plan. Jacob, David, Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and all the rest point to the coming of Jesus, our Messiah, our Savior, and our King. As Jesus died on the cross, he proclaimed that that plan was fully in place. The prophecies fulfilled, his work complete, all fully in accordance with the will of the Father. No shortcuts had been taken. No compromises were made. Jesus, the Son of God, in his dying breath, sealed the plan with no equivocation and with total confidence. He summed up the culmination of his earthly life and the fulfillment of the Father's eternal plan in three simple words. It is finished. Matthew gives us some additional very important detail in Matthew chapter 27, starting with verse 50. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they entered the holy city and appeared to many. Now the centurion and those who were with him keeping guard over Jesus, when they saw the earthquake and the things that were happening, became very frightened and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. You know, I hate being locked out. I hate being told that I can't go in somewhere. And in fact, when somebody tells me I can't go in, I'm just ornery enough to not stop until I can figure out a way around that whether I want to go in or not. You may be the same way. That's why I love verse 51. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The curtain in the temple separated the holy place from the most holy place where God made himself present. You couldn't go through that curtain. I couldn't go through that curtain. We were locked out. That curtain was a physical barrier to separate us between this world and God. It represented the dominion of sin in this world that keeps us separated from God. Our sin made it impossible to have full and open access to God. But that's not what God wanted. From the very beginning, he intended us to have an intimate relationship with him, to walk in the garden with him side by side. Our sin necessitated that barrier. How painful this had to be to a loving God for his children to reject him and be separated from him. But the plan God put into place from the beginning fixed this. When his son took on our sin... When he paid the price, God couldn't wait to get rid of everything that separated us from him. In those few words of this, verse 51, you can feel the anguish of the father having experienced the brutal death of his son, an integral part of himself. And that horrible separation as Jesus took on our sins and God had to turn his back on his son. 
an anguish that we cannot imagine, contrasted with the satisfaction that the Father must have felt as Jesus had accomplished everything necessary to fulfill his plan, that we might be reunited with the Father. It's with that unimaginable mix of feelings we can just see God grabbing the top of that curtain and ripping it in two, top to bottom. It's done. It's finished. The barrier that separated his children from him is gone. It's no longer there. Removed by the death of Jesus, the Son of God, that we, if we so choose, can have unlimited free access to God the Father Almighty. Jesus' death gives us access to God Almighty and eternal life. But I don't know about you, but as I stand at the foot of the cross, just like his followers did 2,000 years ago, I'm bewildered, I'm confused, I'm dumbfounded, dejected and heartbroken. I can't, under, I can't comprehend, I can't understand how Jesus, the Son of God, could die on that cross. But then we go to that open tomb, and the, G and the angels proclaim, He is risen. And all of that sadness and confusion and bewilderment changes. Jesus lives. His resurrection breaks the chains of death and shows us the way. 1 Peter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The finality and indescribable sorrow and sadness of death gives way to hope and joy and anticipation of our own resurrection. Josh did a fine job of reading 1 Corinthians 15, but I'd like to read it again because it is so very, very important to us. <coughs> Behold, I tell you a mystery, we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory, gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we've covered six of the most important words that have ever been spoken. And if you're keeping track, we have four yet to go. As important as the six words that we've talked about are, you know, they really don't mean much without the next four. And those words involve you and I. Paul captures those four critical words in Galatians in chapter 2, starting with verse 20. He says, 
I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loves me and gave himself up for me. Jesus said, it is finished. The angels proclaimed, he is risen. And as Christians, we rejoice and we claim that Jesus is our Lord and Savior by saying not only that Jesus lives, but that Jesus lives in me. Too often, I think we just gloss over those words without really understanding the import. We think, well, that just means that we've accepted Jesus. Or that just means that we're going to try to live as Jesus wants us to. But it means so very much more than that. Christ lives in me. That's staggering. Me? Christ lives in me? I know me. As I try to comprehend the sacrifice that Jesus made for me, the thought that Jesus, the Son of the Most High God, the creator of the universe, lives in me? Me with all of my shortcomings, my sin, and my failings? I think of all the times I've disappointed him. Yet he has promised to live in me, that his spirit dwells in me. That's the plan. That's what he died for. That's why he arose. All that we may walk in the garden together forever and ever and ever. Not in some distant future, but right now. He walks with me. He lives in me. And my shortcomings, yes, I'm sorry to say that they continue to be a real problem. But one he takes care of. He recognizes and understands. He deals with it so that I might be fit for the kingdom. In 1 John 1.7 it says, But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. When each of us proclaims that Christ lives in me, we proclaim victory in Jesus over sin and over death. When we look back at the crucifixion, when we look back at the empty tomb, we're not just seeing a historical event. As Christians, this is deeply personal. It's something we live as Christ lives in us. Paul writes in Romans chapter 6, starting with verse 4, Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly also we shall live in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is freed from sin. Now if we have, been, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God 
in Christ Jesus. And in Romans chapter 8, Paul talks about Christ living in us in verse 10. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit which dwells in you. Christ dwells in us. The Spirit of God dwells in us, and that's amazing. In verse 28 and following of Romans chapter 8, Paul elaborates on just what that means to us. This is a message of victory. I know sometimes we feel defeated in this world. We feel that everything that can go wrong either has go wrong, gone wrong or will. I know you felt that way. We all do. But listen to the assurance that Jesus... The word of God gives us through Paul. In verse 28, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good. To those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. So that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Paul is talking about us. We are the ones that have been called. We are the ones that are justified. We are the ones that are glorified through Jesus. And we, when we realize that gift... When we take hold of that gift, then thir verse 31 and following makes sense. Paul continues, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We come to the empty tomb and the angels proclaim, He is risen. The stone was not rolled away so Jesus could get out. The stone was rolled away so we could get in. So that we could see that, yes, Jesus was not there, but had risen from the dead just as He said He would. We come to the empty tomb today. We see where they laid Him. We see that the tomb is empty. And knowing that, being in Christ, death no longer has any power over us. 
The resurrection of Jesus Christ proves that. We live in a world that fears death above all else, a world consumed by ugliness and the finality of death, a world fixated on death. As Christians, we are free of death. But unless Jesus comes before we die, there is a tomb waiting for each and every one of us. Hebrews 9.27 says, It's appointed for us to die once, and after that comes judgment. The question for each of us this morning is if we are going to choose death, fear, and defeat, or if we're going to choose life and joy and victory. As for me, when I die, don't come looking for me at the cemetery. I won't be there. I wouldn't be caught dead in a cemetery, spiritually speaking. And I hope you say the same thing. Not going to be there. Don't want anything to do with that. That's death. Death has no dominion over me. I live in Christ. Christ lives in me. If you are a Christian, you have chosen life. Galatians 3.27 says, For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself in Christ. We've put Christ on. Having done so, Christ, the risen Savior, does indeed live in us. Death is defeated. Righteousness wins. God's love for us wins. Jesus completed his work to enable us to have unlimited access to God Almighty. He said it is finished. The angels proclaimed he is risen. We claim Jesus as our Lord and Savior by surrendering our will to his and rejoicing as we declare that Christ lives in me. All thanks, all praise go to God. If you need to put Christ on in baptism this morning to secure that promise, to secure that victory, or if there's anything that this congregation can do for you, please make your needs known as together we stand and sing.